Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Bird's eye view. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and baseless opinion. Today is June 9th, 2014. This is episode 71. I am Scott Magnus, and I'm here with my color commentator, my big boy, Jake English. You can find us at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can also find us on the Baltimore Sports Report Network at baltimoresportsreport.com slash network. You should also check us out at various other alternate media such as Miro, Stitcher, Double Twist, and iTunes, as long as we're still there. Alter, so, alternate media? Alternate media. Makes it sound a little risque. Well, that's why I like to, you know, go about it. A little risque, a little ex- expletive. Yeah. Creamsicle. Go Ooh, ahead. Ooh, creamsicle, baby. Yeah, just bring a little bit of that smooth go, glistening go, off go, of it. Go, 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 um, go. So anyway, you can follow us on social media at facebook.com slash BEVcast and Twitter at birdseyeviewbal, the greatest Twitter account to follow with 140 characters in the world. That's right, section 336, take that. And you can follow us on Google+, and also check us out on YouTube if you want uh, to look at a random picture of our Bird's Eye View logo and can't get onto any of other other sites um you should also go you make that sound so worth yeah doing. It, it's just don't do that that's stupid <laughs> um you can also go and check us out most nights on tuesdays and thursdays because heck we have no lives um check us out uh post game after the games on on channel bsr that's baltimoresportsreport.com slash live and normally you'll get to see the lovely faces of jake myself even alan smith just seducing and erotically telling you about how terrible the Orioles were this week or for that game. Um, speaking of which, other small business, go to our website, go to the Amazon banner, support us, give us that two to 3% that Amazon is barely giving us and uh, help us, you know, make our wives a little happy because obviously we're not making them very happy right now. So Jake, with that, what's your drink of the week? My drink of the week is a, uh, well, let's, let's read the label superior light beer. This is a superior light beer, Scott. Okay. It's Michelob Ultra. Mm. Swill of the masses. That, that's pretty terrible. I was actually reading an interesting about Michelob. When the first came out, it was one of the biggest beers that had ever come out under the uh, Anheuser-Busch label. And uh, over that time, it has dropped 3,008%. That sounds like a lot. I, I, They've I, actually considered dropping it off the market. I, I will say that this is actually a... Did you get that out of the dollar cart? No, no, this is a nostalgic purchase. See, I used to... From the 80s. <laughs> I used to have a 90-minute... Drink minute, your Michelob Ultra with some Zima, everybody. <laughs> I used to have a 90-minute commute on the Mark train between D.C. and Baltimore. So you used to drink Michelob Ultras? <laughs> yes. And so I, I found myself in a group of commuters who uh, bought alcohol for me every day between uh, Baltimore and Washington because I was the kid fresh out of college and, and they didn't want me to waste my, my money on alcohol and we drank, we drank Michelob Ultra every day. So this is a shout-out to the train crew. Thank you so much. All these years later, I look at Mickey Ultra and I smile. 
I'm just going to go with my uh, Flying Dog Single Hop Imperial Ale because I just like to like be like the Baltimoreans and drink a lot of Indian Pale Ale. So, Sam and Alan, this one's for you. All right, so now that you've bested me with the drink of the week, let's uh, let's take a waltz to the medical wing. Let's gingerly walk into the medical wing. Um, Johan Santana, um, you know, we had made a prediction in the last episode that he would be coming up in the near future, and... Um, well, look at that. He is uh, out for the rest of the season with an Achilles tendon tear. Um, you know, everyone was under consideration that he was going to be the sixth member of the rotation or possibly replacing Miguel Gonzalez, and now he's done for the season. Jake, I think the big question is career ender. Yeah, it's a good question. I'm glad you asked it. I don't think so. I think he'll try to come back and do it again. Um, a lot of people who don't know anything have said that he's. Hi, that's me. Have said that he's really after this Venezuelan uh, win mark. I, I don't know that it's that's true. That, that that might be the case, but he's like fifty wins away, and there is no way in hell that someone that's going to be thirty six and coming back is going to be able to get it. But if his fire is still lit now, I've got to think that he's going to try to make one more uh, go at it. That's fine. He can try to make one more go at it, but he's done. He is absolutely kaput. It's a shame that it happened, but it was nice knowing you, Hans Santana. Happy trails. All right, what else you got for us? Matt Weeters has been going and doing his throwing day on, day off, day on, day off. But it came out that he's going to go see Dr. James Andrews. Dr. Death. Dr. Death. Um, he's the one they don't call Dr. Field. Yeah, I'm actually really glad that uh, the Baltimoreans were able to get that archival uh, journal of Dr. James Andrew because, honestly— it's, he scares the living shit out of me more so than ever now. He's like worse than like Dr. Frankenstein. He is literally a horror. All right. So uh, we don't know what's up with that. It, it could be that he's still a candidate for surgery. Oh, give me a break. He went to Judge Andrews before and he's just like, oh, yep, you're not going to need a surgery. And everyone said, yay. And then he came back and said, well, he might need the surgery. It doesn't matter what that has to do anything with it. It's just let's just move past it. You know, we're going to have to wait till July 1st, just like Buck told us. Just because he's meeting with him next week doesn't mean anything. Yeah, Buck Showalter says he hopes he has him back by next Tuesday, but we don't there know. There ain't no way. No, nobody knows. There's no way. All right, what else you got for us? Uh, the Orioles have set up a locker for Nolan Reimold, who will join Bowie on Tuesday for a rehab assignment. Jake, if the Orioles are setting up a locker for Nolan Reimold, does that mean we're going to be losing um, like a David Lowe or a Delman Young soon? Um, I don't think so. I think if they were intelligent about don't it. Don't tell me Steve Harris. They, oh gosh, I hope not Steve Pierce. I think if they were intelligent about it, they would wait till Manny Machado has his suspension because frankly, Nolan Reimold will probably get hurt again in the confines of that, that uh, suspension. Well, like we've talked about before, these things have a tendency to work themselves out. Um, so we'll just have to see who gets injured, suspended, whatever, um, and go from there. But if it were my choice, I would definitely drop Dom and Young out of the lineup in, in a heartbeat and oh, bring absolutely. Nolan Reimold in. There's absolutely. no question in my mind. Uh, Delman Young, though he's a professional hitter, though he brings value as a hitter, he's a, a emergency outfielder, if you will. Yeah. He brings no other value. Uh, Nolan Delman Reim- Young? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Nolan Reimold uh, can field. Uh, you know, he's not an all-star in that ca- – he's not, not a gold glover, but he, he can field. He can run. He can hit. You know, he, he, can, he can do lots of things for you. So I, I definitely think that when healthy, he's an upgrade. It's just, it just means that when Nolan Rimel gets hurt again, it costs you Delman Young from the organization. Yeah, it's Shabbat Shalom, mother. <laughs> All right. Uh, here's a little thing from the medical wing. I, I, I want to get into some wild conjecture. 
So you stayed at a Holiday Inn last night. I did. And, and my medical degree is here on the walls of SD Studios. Um, no, while conjecture... Jake, that is a uh, placemat from Applebee's with the uh, inscription Doc McStuffin on it. I have been known from time to time as Doc McStuffin. Um, anyway, uh, while conjecture here, I, I'm just going to say I, I think that Adam Jones is dealing with some lingering issues. Um, he DH'd tonight, tonight being Monday night, and before that, uh, you and I got a good look at him from Section 7 on Sunday, and he didn't get down the first base line incredibly well. That's hogwash. If you watched around the center field, he was perfectly fine going off some of those balls that were in the gap. And let me tell you right now, there were a lot of balls in the gap that game. <laughs> Look, I'm not saying his leg has fallen off. What I am saying is I, I think that he's a little banged up, and I, I think we may see um, Adam Jones DH a little bit more, particularly because David Lowe has scraped himself off the bottom of the barrel. Okay, I can understand that to a certain regard. Um, you know, it's good that Adam Jones is not going to be in center field every single day. That was a big issue last year with, you know, is Adam Jones getting too tired and seemed like he slumped off a lot in September. I'm glad that Buck is giving him the rest that he needs to see, even in, uh, you know, big games that I would give consideration of this first game for the Red Sox series. So kudos for Buck Showalter for making that move. Kudos for Adam Jones for not, you know, whining about it and just saying, yep, you're right. I need to take some time off. But I think you're making a little bit too much of things. I think this is just, let's give the guy some rest. Okay, fine. Let's uh, let's leave this alone then, and let's go deep, and I mean deep, into the twat. This week on the Twitter. So, Jake, we're going to start with a press room tough guy, and that was Gordon Edis this week. You can follow him at, at Gordon Edis, but I'm not sure if I would recommend it. It goes, Ortiz goes off on price again. Can't understand why Tampa Bay pitcher wasn't suspended for throwing at him. Punk ass. I think it's punk ass shit. Yeah, yeah. punk ass shit. Okay. Yeah, uh, you know we we talked about David Price or David Price, David Ortiz uh, last week for for being you know the the press room tough guy. Just shut up, <laughs> just shut up. Play baseball. That's what you do. And this is exactly, I'm sure, what other fans are talking about with one of our guys. And we'll get into that a little bit later. But uh, it wasn't a good look. All right, let's move on. I want to talk about uh, J.J. Hardy and about the fact that, you know, no one in the clubhouse is really hitting the panic button on J.J. Hardy, considering the fact that he's had some uncharacteristic struggles in the field. Uncharacteristic? You mean absolutely horrible and ter- terrible? Yes, which is out of character for him. Can I get to the tweet? Is that okay with you? This is a, a Twitter segment. Okay, go ahead. All right, so Eduardo Encina, who, who tweets at Eddie in the yard, tweeted out, Buck on Hardy's errors. Quote, nobody in this clubhouse thinks twice about it other than J.J. because he's as good a shortstop as there is. End quote. So you have to do a self-alarm in the Orioles clubhouse. So if there's an issue, you have to actually press the red button yourself. Absolutely. You have to break glass. In case of emergency, break glass, then freak out. Well, congratulations. Tommy Hunter just got glass into his hand, and he's going to be out for another 15 days. Well, it's nice that David Ortiz will come to the clubhouse and break the glass for you. That's a good point. Um. Rich D. Roth also had a tweet this week about saying how the market is basically covered for Baltimore having a great chance at being the 2016 All-Star Game hosting. You can follow him at, at Rich D. Roth CSN. Um, and it was Baltimore seems to have a clear path for the 2016 All-Star Game. Um, I really haven't heard any other talk about another town being of choice for the 2016 All-Star Game. I know Bud Selig has come out and said Baltimore is definitely a very interesting option. 
Um, we'll just have to wait to see what happens. But the fact that there is no talk about it anywhere else seems to be a very encouraging sign. Absolutely. And you want more encouraging signs? Are you ready, Scott, for more encouraging signs? Right. Bring it. Here is a tweet at Dylan underscore Bundy, and it says as follows, very simply, Okay. headed to Maryland. Okay. So are we thinking Frederick or are we thinking Bowie? Actually, it's Aberdeen from what I've oh, heard. Oh, really? I, I think from what I understand, and, and I just looked very briefly on the tw- on the Twitters uh, before we started recording, I think this may be an injury rehab thing rather than an outright assignment. I'm not sure, but I, it sounded okay. like he was headed to Aberdeen first. So you're saying that we actually could, as Harford County citizens, go and see Dylan Bundy pitch? That is the impression I am under. Okay. So we need to talk to our wives and say, we really don't want to go see an Orioles game. We want to go see an Ironbirds game. I don't think it, we we should really choose between the two. So we should just go to both. Yes. You know, it'd be really awesome if we could go to, go to like an Ironbirds game during the day or at night one time, and then we could go see an Oriole game on the same day. I can't imagine they do Ironbirds games in the afternoon. Uh, I bet you they might do it like on a Saturday or Sunday. All right, now you're now you're onto something. All right, let let's move on. That's way too much Ironbirds talk for an Orioles podcast. What else do you have for us? Well, uh, in honor of the uh, College World Series and Maryland uh, being in the uh, Super Regionals, I wanted to uh, bring up who wants a mustache ride. Um, Andrew, I do. I do, too. Andrew Emmer basically uh, has posted, and you can follow him at, at Andrew Emmer, and says, a reminder that this glorious mustache is taking the hill for the most important game in Terps baseball history. And uh, the pitcher for the Maryland Terps actually has a genuine, beautiful Handlebar mustache. Yeah, that's a Raleigh Fingers esque there. That's that's a fine, fine mustache. So that's Bobby Roos. He's a relief pitcher for the University of Maryland Terrapins. And I just wanted to give a hat tip to the University of Maryland Terrapins for getting to the Super Regionals and going against the uh, Virginia Cavaliers. Whether or not they lose tonight, you know, I'm not going to worry about it. You know, it was quite a ride. And, um, you know, congratulations to him for getting this far. It's actually probably one of the only times I've actually been interested in college baseball in a long time. Can I ask you something? Yes. What the hell is a super regional? It's the section of the baseball playoffs right before they go to the College World Series in Omaha. Oh. It's a three-game series. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll have to take your word for okay. it. Okay. Well, with it's that. It's like the um, Sweet 16. Okay. See, now that I can understand because yeah. it's got numbers. And you know I'm a stat guy. See, I'm surprised that as an American University basketball fan that you know what the Sweet 16 is. That hurts. <laughs> you you wound me, sir. With that, rather than have a hissy fit of my own, I think we should discuss a hissy fit that may or may not have taken place this weekend. Scott, hit the music.
Jake, it was a uh, it was a rough day on Sunday. Needless to say, um, we were both in attendance, and um, well, I think you and I both left before the incident occurred. Yeah, you and I both left before the incident on Sunday, but I, I will actually correct you and say it wasn't just an unfortunate Sunday. It was an unfortunate weekend starting on Friday night. It's true. Um, you know, we need to talk about this and we need to we need to put this all in perspective. And you and I certainly cannot do that alone. So, uh, Scotty, you have you have brought somebody in here to 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 really just make this all make sense. Yeah, Tell us it, about it. I mean, I was thinking about the situation, and you know, I'm thinking too about it, and saying, you know, Jake is an old fart. I'm an old fart. We need someone here with a youthful perspective that can really relate to this whole incident with Manny Machado being, you know, 21 years of age. We went to the youngest and the brightest individual we know, Cody Colston from Baltimore Sports Report. Cody, thanks for coming on tonight. No problem, guys. Um, it, I, I just, I'm, I'm, I was at a loss for words when I first just found out what happened because I, I don't think I, I don't remember, I don't think I was watching the game at the moment. Well, that was a good then, move by your part. I think that's pretty much what everyone else had decided to do as well. <laughs> But it's uh, but the more and the more I look at it, and the more and more and I analyze at it, it's like I I feel like everyone is is really just overreacting to what actually happened. Um, first off, I, I, let's start off with with what instigated it all was that Donaldson incident when Machado's running the third after Jones hit that hard grounder. Donaldson's playing real far back. And instead of making the simple throw to first, which I think is normally what a third baseman would do in that situation, he decides to jog up, tag Manny. Manny tries to avoid it, comes falls off balance, and then he throws his helmet, and that's when you get the back and forth. All right. Well, let me let me stop you there, and let me let me ask you this: Looking at the play, I didn't see anything wrong with the tag. I thought it was a clean baseball play. I don't. I looking at it originally, I didn't think it was malicious, and I thought that Manny Machado reacted emotionally and and overreacted emotionally are you saying you think that there is something there for for manny to have been upset over well i think really what it comes down is is his knee i think that his big thing is that he doesn't want to put any risk he doesn't have to on that knee of his and when donaldson comes at him like that he's manny's got to jump out of the way and he's going to fall and something he could land awkwardly on it i feel i think that's where he's coming from but i mean i can't really say that uh say that definitively because i don't think manny really said anything about what that specific incident he more talked about what happened at the end of the weekend well the one interesting thing was um there is a uh, a lip reader that works for uh, bleach report and also works for deadspin and he basically came back and analyzed that play and the situation was that he actually manny basically said to donaldson of do you know how much this knee is worth to him and that's what he was yelling at him so there you go. So it was a situation where he felt like his knee was an issue. However, I'm actually going to have to side with Donaldson on this one. And it's a situation of, you know, if you're going to go out there and say, I don't want you to injure this knee or don't want you to do that, then you really don't deserve to be out there on the field right now if you don't think your knee is at full 100%. And this is a situation where Manny has come out and said, there's nothing wrong with my knee. I feel perfectly fine. I'm, you know, I'm hitting well and everything like that. You can't play tentative like this because the more tentative you play with it, the more I believe you're going to also have the ability to risk further injury. I think you just got to play baseball and you're going to have to see what happens. Yeah, I agree. I think this whole thing is kind of up to up for debate. It's like who sees who, who sides with who and who's in the middle. I'm personally just in the middle. I could see it going either way. And I mean, it's, that's not really the big thing that I, I, I was worried about. I was, um, 
let's let's let can we move away from that and can we go to what happened sure, later we, that game when Chen threw at Donaldson? Sure. I, it, I, I'm using air quotes when I say threw at. Well, I mean, it wasn't a high up at his at his face. I mean, it wasn't a, you know a, something that might have been intentional, but. Donaldson obviously took it, um, you know, personally and basically turned to his dugout and said, you know, something's going to have to come of this. Um, but it wasn't like he charged them out. He kind of, you know, did what Cruz did when he got when Cruz got pushed back by Verlander after what happened with Torrey Hunter. And it was, you know, he just grabbed his junk and said, hold this. So, you know, <laughs> I, you know, at the same point, you know, I really didn't see anything wrong again with Donaldson's actions besides, you know, can you believe this is what's happening and just kind of taking his base? You know, that could have escalated a lot quicker if uh, if Donaldson decided to do it. But I thought he handled the situation pretty well. It, it, see, the thing with that is, is, is Duquette, what Duquette talked it on the Derek and Norris show on 1057 The Fan this morning, and I'm trying to remember what he said, but it was the first inning, Donaldson had that opposite field home run, and what happened was is that Chen threw it away. It was over and away, and Donaldson lunged for it, and that's how he got it in the right field bleachers, mm-hmm. and from what Duquette said, the plan was from then on was to pitch Donaldson inside, and from what I've also heard is that his second at bat, the bat before he got hit, he was also getting balls inside. So I don't understand why he's taking why he took it personally. I think he was just looking at that at bat and he's not taking it as a whole. Well, I mean, because you look if, at the if you look at it as a whole. I mean, it's just like Chen's just throwing inside. It's also kind of late in the game. Chen's getting up there in a pitch count. He's going to start losing control. I mean, it's. I I don't think everyone. I think everyone just took that incident and didn't look any further well again and, and it was a situation of nothing occurred off of that incident it was you know donaldson didn't charge the mound or you know say to anybody i'm gonna beat your ass it was a simple situation where he took his base but he didn't escalate the situation any further at that time now whether or not you know he went back to the dugout you know on and said you know you're gonna have to take care of something and then they would just bide their time through saturday and wait a sunday maybe that's a possibility um but let's go past Chen. Let's go to Sunday and let's talk about the incident that occurred. Um, so the game was a blowout at this point. Um, yeah. It was what ten to one, Jake, at that point, or ten nothing. Well, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna talk about the nothing. fifth inning first. Yeah, well, let's talk about the fifth inning. That's a good point. Go ahead. Well, right, the fifth you... inning, you know, uh, Manny Machado uh, caught the catcher, uh, oh, yeah. Derek Norris, yes, uh, on the head with his backswing, and the Athletics did not feel that Manny Machado was apologetic enough. They said that he did not apologize. Uh, Buck Showalter later said that Manny just assumed that with the way things had gone that weekend that the Athletics didn't want to hear it, so he he thought that it would be better just to stay silent. And that was apparently what riled up the Athletics. Um Again, it's it's tough to to read intent because it's so easy as fans who, you know, are so far away from the actual events to to know how much emphasis to place on each thing. But it certainly doesn't look good. I, I don't think there's any way a human being can possibly intentionally hit a catcher on the backswing, but it just looked bad. Yeah, it it really did look bad. But I would I I um. Hope, uh, I have an article that will hopefully be up by the time this podcast is up, and you'll see. I put I'm putting pictures in Manny's backswing. It's it's been consistent. It's a really violent follow through. He always like almost hits the catcher almost every single follow through. And Buck said today um, that that already on the season Manny's done that about six or seven times, and he hasn't even played that long. 
So it's a thing that happens for Manny a lot. And another thing about it was Norris, he was talking about how he saw Manny smiling afterwards, after that second time when Norris got up and he was, the trainers were looking after him. If you watch that whole scene through and you see him smirk, eventually you'll see Jones come on the screen and Jones is sitting there. I think he's, it looks like he's telling a joke and Manny's sitting there laughing at Jones. So I don't, I don't, I'm not sure what to read in that. Uh, Not sure, but I think it's, Unless you want to villainize Jones in this, I think it's just Manny just trying to move on from that. He wasn't really trying to pay, give it any attention. All right. So so the fifth inning thing happens, and, and that leads us to, to the eighth inning. At this point, the game is a complete blowout. I think it's 10 nothing at this point. 10 nothing, yeah. Um, and, and uh, you know, Manny Machado gets, uh, gets buzzed in the knees uh, with the first pitch of the at-bat. And in the second pitch of the at-bat, uh, which I believe was over the plate, yes? It was actually a ball. Um, it came in f- too far inside as well, and he basically let the ball go, as, hit, let the bat go at that point. And then he, he threw the bat. Um, Machado insists, still to well, this point. No, 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 no. Well, he basically apologized, so I think that's not an ins- insistence. I think he realizes what he did was wrong. Well, he, well, he knew what he did was wrong, but he was insisting that it was accidental. After the game, yes. But after today's instance, well, again, let's look at what his comments were after the game. After the game was, you know, it just slipped out of my hands and Buck, you know, came to the support of his players, didn't throw him under the bus. But then 24 hours later, that story has kind of got flipped onto its head. Okay, so here, here's my question then. Did Manny Machado mean to throw the bat at anyone in particular and executed poorly or was he just trying to put on a display of, of you know, d- that he was displeased with the situation? Well, let's, let's ask Cody because uh, I have some vehement opinions on this matter. Well, I think he, I, I, he was probably trying to aim for a bod. But it, the thing about the whole thing about him saying, I, wanna, I wanted to get this out, is that the whole thing about him saying it was an accident. If he said he did it on purpose, he's going to get like 20 games on the spot right then and there, no question about it. Well, if he, he says accident, it's a whole litigation process he can appeal it blah 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 he won't get as many games but i think he really did try he was mean to shoot for abad but he was just really 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 bad aim jake your thoughts yeah i i think it was intentional is that what you're asking me well i mean do you think he was aiming at abad or anything else or well i mean i i think where it ended up doesn't do any good and josh donaldson wasn't playing third base at that point so uh, yeah i i think he was he was trying to shoot for somebody and okay. he missed everybody on the field uh, you know i'm really disappointed with the both of you i'm actually completely disappointed with the entire major league baseball media personalities because there's an obvious answer to this. Manny obviously has great hands and has the ability to place the ball and place the bat uh, specifically in the field I think we're failing to realize where the bat went. It went towards third base, but it didn't really go at the third baseman. It went at Angel Hernandez. So Manny Machado was targeting <laughs> Angel Hernandez and trying to do every single Major League Baseball player a decent justice of taking out one of the worst umpires in all Major League Baseball. So really, should we be criticizing Manny Machado? No, we should be giving him a medal now for trying to take Angel Hernandez out. You, sir, are an embarrassment. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so the, the, the bench is clear. Uh, Machado and Abad are both ejected, and uh, and then there's the reaction, and 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 here's here's where we are because I think that this can go in two very clear directions. The first is is that we can all say to ourselves, and all of us is is both the Baltimore market and the national market, and we can say to ourselves, look, 
Manny Machado looked really bad this weekend. He looked like a prima donna. He he looked like a me first guy. He looked like a bad guy. But that's probably not who Manny Machado is. If he manages to keep his nose clean from here on out, this is a one-time thing, and these things happen with emotional, you know, brute athletes sometimes. The other direction that we can take this is this is a trend that we're seeing from Manny Machado, who, after his all G shucks promotion to the minors, uh, or, or from the minors rather, has ha- has blossomed into a uh, you know phenom in Major League Baseball. It's gone to his head uh, now that he's come back from this injury. Instead of appreciating appreciating it even more, he is appreciating himself even more. And this is just one of the things that we're going to continue to see from this guy. And he'll be a heel of Major League Baseball from here on out. Cody, how are Orioles fans supposed to react, and how are are baseball fans at large supposed to react? Well, I, I think everyone is disappointed, and I think the A's are pissed off, and I think I think Oriole fans are pissed off even more so because it 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 makes the whole organization look bad. It does it just doesn't make Manny look bad. It makes the team look bad. It makes Buck look bad. It makes all the coaches look bad, and it makes the fans look bad. And I've 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 been on Reddit a lot recently. I've been watching all the reactions, and from, we, we like, love the, the Orioles subreddit. They call us goobers there, so we appreciate them. Yes, they're fun and everything. They're they're out for they want Manny to get a suspension. That's the consensus on that subreddit. The entire baseball subreddit, it's it they're they're it, he's pretty much the antichrist right now. There, um, I, I hate to use that word, but that that's what it, they're making it sound like. And everyone's like, oh, this, this isn't going to go away. This is going to stick with him for the rest of his life. Well, maybe, maybe not. It depends on what he does from here on out. Uh, like I said, I, we haven't really seen this side of Manny. I mean, there was that one instance where he took a photo with A-Rod, but I mean, that was just people and trying that's, to And that's something. worse in our opinion, right? <laughs> let's go back. Well, let's stop right there, actually. I think that's an important part is when that occurred in January, that was a big deal because people were questioning – Oh God, is Manny actually hanging out with A Rod? And you know, you know, A Rod's always been his mentor. And even yesterday on the national scene, people were basically saying he's just like A Rod. He's just like his mentor. You know, we've got uh, an A Rod Junior in our hands. And I think you know that's definitely an over exaggeration um, on the part of the national media. And I think that's the easy way to take things. Um, but you know, I think we have to avoid some of the national reaction at this point. Um, you know, if this was David Ortiz, I think everyone would be saying it's just David being David. You know, that sometimes happens. Um, do I think that he would get a negative approach to it? Yes, but I think in a few weeks it would blow over. And I, you know what? I honestly think the same thing is going to happen with Manny Machado as well. Is I think this was a situation that is going to get a lot of attention. It was the number two top story on ESPN yesterday, but I think it is going to blow over very quickly because. You know, bigger stories are going to happen in national media markets such as New York, Los Angeles, Chicago. Um, that are uh, going to finals, be a, NBA yeah, finals. NBA finals, yeah, exactly. That are going to be a, a lot bigger, newsworthy than um, a third baseman in Baltimore. Yeah, it's it's. I think he's going to serve a suspension, and I think this is this will eventually blow over. I think what's going to suck though is that everyone's going to point to this this blemish on his character. Like, oh, he's such a good guy, but we remember that one time he threw a bat at somebody. Like, it, it's it's kind of similar to the Ray Rice situation. Like, Ray Rice had had this had this perfect off the field persona, and then he had this just 
giant brick come down on him. Well, well, hold up, Cody. This is a completely different situation than the Ray Rice situation. This is a situation where someone displayed poor conduct on the field. The Ray Rice situation is something where he displayed poor conduct off the field towards his, you know, his future wife and a female. I don't think we can condone a game action being the same as action towards hitting a woman in public. I, I'm not comparing them. I'm just saying that they're 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 blemishes on the each 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 character and and PR nightmare. And, I'll but, come I'll come to your defense here, Cody. I I I, I see what you're, what you're saying. Cody, there. this and, is when you're supposed to yell at me. <laughs> <laughs> and they're, and they're both PR nightmares. And I would point out have probably been handled very differently by both clubs. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think the, the Orioles so far, it seems like they're they're doing what they can. The Ravens, it, it sounded they sounded like they were handling it okay at first, but once Ray Rice had that press conference, it kind of teetered off the cliff, and that's when everyone was like, okay, th- uh, no, just no. <laughs> the only thing that I will say that is similar is that uh, I saw a lot of reaction after Manny's, uh, you know press conference today where people on Twitter and the like were un, unsatisfied with what he said. And it's like, well, in that case, what what did you want him to well, say? Well, this comes back to your whole thing, which you were talking about at the Ray Ray situation, where people wanted their pound of flesh, basically. And, you know, I, even I had the situation with my wife coming in the door, and she's just like, yeah, listen to it. But, you know, he did something, and I, I don't know if I can accept for his apology. And I'm like, what the heck more do you want from the individual? He came out, he realized he was sorry, you know, he made a mistake. You've made mistakes. I've made mistakes. What do you want to do? Do you want to just like crucify him until, you know, everything is done? And it's just, it's like, I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do with it. And I'm like, this is what you're going to do. You're going to accept the apology. You're going to get over it and you're going to move on. You're going to wait and you're going to watch. That's the thing. And that's actually an interesting point because Josh Donaldson said the same thing about Manny Machado. He said, words are words to get uh, get reputation back. He needs to play and play the right way. And I think that's a really um, a good quote by Donaldson to say, yeah, I understand you said it. But at the same point, let's go ahead and make this happen. Um, You know, I was looking at the schedule and the Orioles are going to play the athletics right after the All-Star game. I think this would be a perfect opportunity for Machado, who is not going to be getting into the All-Star game this year, to go out to Oakland prior to that Oakland series. He's got several days off beforehand. And to get together with Josh Donaldson and maybe some members of the Oakland Athletics Organization and do some good charity work out there in the Oakland area. Um, you know, Just go and work with some of the charity organizations that are out there and kind of sit down with Donaldson. I think it would really be a good opportunity for Donaldson and Machado to top third baseman in Major League Baseball to go out and do something. Maybe even go do something for like MLB Fan Cave as well and kind of spin this into a social media thing, but also do a lot of charity work too. Um, I, I just think that that's the next step in terms of taking action that would really um, make it you know, not just be about a game, but more about a community and how two players can come together. Yeah, I mean, I mean that, that it's all good in theory. I mean, it all depends on, on whether or not Manny takes action or – whether or not what you know what the Orioles PR wants him to do, because right now <laughs> his uh his reputation is in their hands right now and how they handle it. So I mean it it's it it, it sounds like a good idea and I, I wish it would happen, but we're just gonna have to wait and see, like you said. Well, I um, mean, he doesn't have to do anything. If the Orioles PR comes to him and says you have to do this, he can say go pound sand. I've got the MLB Players Association right behind me, and um, you're not gonna tell them what to do. <laughs> You know, the Major League Player Association is the most powerful union pretty much on the planet at this moment. So um, 
you know, that's all great and good. But if Manny doesn't want to do it and his agent doesn't want to do it, then he's not going to do it. So, you know, I think it's just think it's a good opportunity for Manny to go out there and just try to reestablish himself as a top player, especially being such a young individual, too. He also has the possibility to be open to marketing deals and media deals as well, similar to how, like, Mike Trout is um, working with Subway and Bryce Harper as well. All right, Cody, I, I have three questions for you that I that I want to to kind of wrap Close this, this up. Yeah, um, and and let me just let me just do the first. It's an easy one, uh, Cody. In your opinion, uh, should Manny Machado serve a suspension, and will he? I think he will, and I I want him to. I mean, it, it you have to. He needs to learn that there's consequences for his actions. Um, I mean, he probably already knows that, but I mean, he needs he needs to actually have it happen to him, and he needs to get that realization. Okay, all right, I need this is how I need to handle myself. I need to work on myself, and I need to be a better player and a better person. All right, uh, I, I think Scott and I are probably in agreement on that. I I think that the suspension will be three to five games, and I I think it's warranted. I say three to five games too. Buster only says it might be six games. I, I, but here's another thing. I also think um, Abad will get suspended too. I think he's going to serve a suspension, just like uh, I think Peter Gammons tweeted it out. I think uh, Brandon Workman, he, he, I think he served. He something similar happened like this, and he got uh, a pretty decent suspension. Okay. All right. Second question. Um, Manny Machado basically let this thing get crazy when he threw the bat. If Manny Machado puts his head down and and you know resets his spikes and just waits for the next pitch after the the A's throw at his knees in the eighth inning of Sunday's game, does this become more about the A's than Manny Machado? Basically, did did he blow it from a PR perspective by throwing the bat? Um, I think it was already against him as soon as that that incident with Donaldson happened because everyone is just like, oh, they're just you know they're retaliating against him for doing that and. It I, it was it the game was rigged against him from the start in my opinion um but it would definitely uh been almost a non-story if he didn't throw the bat and it would have just been another uh another what I don't know what to call it uh kind of kind of like the Bud Norris uh Tory Hunter thing yeah a exactly new story like and then it goes away all right my my last question for you is this. Do you think that that it's done? Period, and and punctuation mark, or do you think that something will continue in that next A's series? Um, you're you're probably gonna see something unless Machado goes out of his way to reach out to them and try to uh, fix the relationship he has with the A's organization. Um, I don't I don't think you'll see anything great. I think you'll see something, but I don't think. Fans will interpret it like that. I think we'll just see. Oh, guy got hit by a pitch. No biggie. But I think it'll it'll be on the field. But I don't think it'll necessarily be in the fans' mind that okay, this is this is still a thing. All right, Cody. Well, thanks so much for coming on the uh, podcast tonight. Um, you said that you had uh, an article coming out um, on Manny Machado and his swing. Um, wh- where is that going to be posted, and uh, when can we look for that? Um, hopefully soon, maybe tomorrow. Well, I mean, it's tomorrow here. I don't know when the, um, it'll be like Tuesday ish. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll see it somewhere on Tuesday. I'm, I'm guessing. Uh, hopefully uh, I got to get with Zach and I have to send it to him, but it's, it's, it's mainly, it's mainly about this whole deal with, um, with, as we were talking about his, the situation that happened. And I took, uh, I was analyzing, I was going back and looking at some old videos and looking at how violently Manny swing 
his follow through is with um because of Norris him hitting Norris twice. And I I really just think that's just how Manny swings, as we said earlier, what um Buck said that Manny has six or seven uh of this so far this season. So So what what I'm hearing is go to BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Look for yes. Cody Colston's article and look at yes. pretty, pretty pictures, um, animated pictures of Manny, Manny Machado because um, – Not animated pictures. I'm not No, no, no. Talented. Animated <laughs> pictures. I want animated – no, okay, fine. You're not going to be animated pictures. Give me really pretty pictures um, and just see what it's like to uh, experience baseball through the eyes of such a youthful and passionate individual. So, Cody, thanks so much for coming on tonight. No problem. Anytime, you guys. tell lies, thinking I can see. You can't cry because you're laughing at me. All right, Scott, when it comes to the pitching for the Baltimore Orioles, up is down, down is up. It, it's the weirdest thing. It, it seems like our top two pitchers for the rotation, the, the stalwarts we were supposed to depend on, have been abysmal, whereas the bottom of the rotation has really been the only thing keeping it alive. Most recently, we want to look at the games that, that Chris Tillman and Ebaldo Jimenez have had where they are just they're not keeping the, the ball game in contention. They are not giving the Orioles the chance they need to, to win. On the other hand, we're seeing great starts from guys like Bud Norris, who were supposed to be, you know, the fifth starter. And, and Kevin Gaussman. People Gaw- were telling that he's going to get shifted to the bullpen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Smart people like the one on this program. Yeah, exactly. 100 losses. And then, <laughs> and then we saw a great start from Kevin Gosman, who, you know, the question is, is this guy even ready for the show? You mean the guy that we kept on saying, I can't believe the Orioles keep yo-yoing him. He's going to be an absolute disaster as a prospect? Yes, that's the one. Okay. So, Scott, I, let, I mean, let's do this. Let's let's talk about both Tillman and Jimenez to start with and then see you know what we've seen from the rest of these guys. Okay. Well, let's start with Tillman and let's go back to the game uh, and basically say it was an absolute disaster of a game in terms of how he pitched on Friday night. Oh, Friday night, because you're going to have to narrow that down for the games he's he's pitched that have been an absolute disaster. Yes, I am. Um, I don't know. It, it's The situation is as simple as, well, actually, you know what? It's not as simple as it was. I would have come back and I would point out to Zach's article and what everyone else has talked about is reduced velocity. You know, this goes all the way back to 2011 where Steve Molesky was talking about Chris Dillon with his reduced velocity. And he asked him about it, and he said um, he's just seeking better command as a reason his velocity was down. So he's like, oh, I'm just going to pitch more accurately, and that way my, my my velocity will go down. My problem with that is you're really not pitching. You're kind of you know throwing it in there and just being like, oh, I'm trying to target a certain thing as opposed to pitching. And you know, there's a big thing, at least in my head, of there's a difference between pitching and targeting. You mean Daniel Cabrera? Yeah. You mean Pedro Strope. Right. Here's one more for you. But you Kevin know, Craig. Okay. 
But I think, you know, I was looking through some articles, and I think John Shepard at Camden Depot absolutely knocked it out of the park. He actually did an analysis back in April with Chris Tillman, and he looked at a sample size of several years of Chris Tillman, and he looked at fastball velocity. And if you looked at fastball velocity, he's definitely succeeded immensely when his fastball velocity was greater than 92.5 miles per hour. His runs allowed per nine innings of those games were 3.20, and his, his assumptions at this point was he was much more aggressive at the plate, and he challenged batters. Whereas that velocity started to go down, um, you know, his runs a lot per game increased to 4.17 uh, when he was between 92 and 92.5. It went to 4.32 when it was between 91.55 and 91.9. It actually was at 2.25 between 90.94 and 91.5.6. And then when it was less than 90.94, it would end up all the way to 4.87 runs a lot per nine. So I think that's a really interesting stat of E. Uh, increasing runs a lot per nine while his velocity came back down. Um, you no, know, does it tell the entire story? No, there's been several games this year, like the Kansas City game, where he pitched the nine inning shutout. Um, that his velocity was right around 89 to 90 miles per hour. So he wasn't pitching the ball effective, like really, really fast, like 92 miles per hour, but he still was um, very effective in that game. Yeah, can I can I step away from the stats for a second and go to the guts? Go to the guts. Here, here's my thing with Chris Tillman. First of all, I'm seeing him miss the target way too much. Okay. And, you know, if it's velocity is the issue and he's trying to scale back so he can hit his spots, he's not doing it. And beyond that, Chris Tillman is frustrating because you know he can be good. You You know he can be almost great. Mm-hmm. And he's shown that from time to time. It's consistency that's the problem. Sure. And consistency is the mark of the difference between good pitchers and, you know, I made the joke earlier, Daniel Cabrera. Daniel Cabrera could light up the Yankees in Yankee Stadium over eight strong innings, but he just couldn't put it together. Obviously, Chris Tillman's a better pitcher than that, but if he's going to make the next step, he needs to be more consistent, and that's exactly what we're not seeing. Sure. Um, I, I tend to agree with you. I think that if you look at some of the pitches, just from a gut and eye perspective, I really felt a lot of the balls were hanging up in the zone, which allowed him to get plastered. Um, I don't really think it was a situation where he was really pitching outside the zone or anything. If you look at his ozone percentage and you know his zone profile, it's right there where it's always been. I just think it was just placement, like you were talking about. I think he's aiming too much as opposed to just pitching. And and he also knows he doesn't. He knows he doesn't have it. That's right. the thing. Right. And some of this is in his head. And frankly, it should be because he he doesn't have it. Right. There's an interesting stat, and I don't have any data at this point, but something I'm going to look into for future uh, games because I think it's really important for Chris Tillman and our other pitchers. And it's something off of pitch FX, which you know about pitch FX because we've gone through it before. But there's a stat in there allegedly called command FX. And what it does is it basically breaks out where the catcher placed his glove and where the ball finally ended up. And I think that would be really interesting to take a look at how much of a deviation we're seeing between the two. At this time, I haven't been able to find any data, any significant portion that could actually be used as a decent database. But I'm going to continue to look at it, and I'm going to hopefully post an article on Baltimore Sports Report or Bird's Eye View Baltimore in regards to Chris Tillman and some of our other pitchers in terms of this command FX. Sure. Well, let's talk about command. That That is a perfect segue to you, the yes. other pitcher, which is Abaldo Jimenez. Uh, let, I mean, let's go to the stats first. What are you seeing from Abaldo Jimenez? Well, it's, it's very simple. If you look at his stats, it's just, you know, his walks are immensely up this season um, compared to the other ones. His walks per nine is up by like one and a half compared to last year. It's very similar to his 2012 numbers where he was just absolutely terrible. 
um, in terms of you know his wins and losses. His ERA was higher, and even his FIP was at a, at a career high at that point. So it definitely comes back to a situation of his command is worse, and again, that's also hurting him from the fact that he's not be able to get deep into games, and he's only getting through five or six innings at most. The other thing, and and again, I'm going to step away from from statistical analysis here and go back to you know that what the eye test. The thing that's so frustrating about Ibaldo Jimenez is that he can be spot on, like he was for innings one and two on Sunday, and suddenly it's gone. Mm-hmm. He is literally, you know, Doctor Jackal and Mister Hyde, where you know he can be a great starter and somebody that you look at and you say, oh, okay, I get why the Orioles paid him all that money. And if I see this for the rest of the season, this is the best move ever. And by the rest of the season, I mean the rest of the contract. Um, but then he just loses it, and he, he walks a ton of guys, and he, he gets plagued by the big inning. And that's really a problem. And, and the, the really frustrating thing is that the differences between the good starts for him and the bad starts for him is that in the good starts, he gets himself into trouble and then squirms out of it. And in the bad starts, he gets himself into trouble, and then he gets killed by it. Sure. And that comes back to a left on basis percentage, and that was a big deal for Chris Tillman last year where his left on basis percentage was above 80%. A lot of people saw regression because they didn't think he would continue that trend. I'm also going to point out the situation, too, where Abado Jimenez has not really gotten any great run support. Here's an interesting stat for you. Um, in terms of FIP, which is fielding independent percent, uh, uh, fielding independent pitching, and it's basically— Field- Independent pitching, yeah. please, sir, yeah. Yeah. get it right. Sorry, I'm drinking, you know, heavy drinks over here. Um, That's why I need to go with Mickey Ultra. Keep going. Yeah. So in those games that Tillman started, Tillman um, didn't go this, but the Orioles went nine and one when Tillman started, and he had a FIP below six point zero zero, which is absolutely atrocious. But it's interesting that Tillman has gone nine and one in these starts, where Habato Jimenez in these starts has gone three and seven. That is interesting. So, I mean, again, if you look at their FIP, um, they're both very poor. I'll, let's just go out and say, you know, you could, you could say, oh, this one's better than the other, but they're both poor. And it's interesting that Jimenez is so poor compared to Tillman in terms of how the game's actually found and how the outcome. So I do think run differential is a – our run support and run differential is a big portion of those that Jimenez is not getting any support. I don't think he's actually won a home game at this point yet either too. So I think Ingratiating he, himself to the home crowd. Correct. So I think Jimenez needs to get over this hump of you know getting that home win and getting some momentum to build up to it. I'd also like to point out too, um, there we always talk about quality starts, quality starts, quality starts. But again – the quality start of six innings pitched and less than three runs is really not a great start. Six innings pitched with three earned runs only gives you a 48.4% of a chance to win a baseball game. However, there's other situations that can cause you to have a better winning probability. For example, if you go five and a third but only give up one run, you have a 73.9% chance of winning that baseball game. So in Abado Jimenez's 13 starts so far this season, six of them have been redefined as a quality start. I'm not saying that's great, but I'm also not saying it's terrible. I think if we look at the free agents that came out this year from Gavin Floyd, Bronson Arroyo, Irvin Santana, Bartolo Colon, um, you know, you look at their wars and they're really not that great. There are only two pitchers that came out of free agency so far this offseason that have really dominated, and that's Tim Hudson, who signed very early in the free agency period, and Scott Casimir, who the Orioles were looking at, but were concerned about his physical. So those are the only two pitchers that I think are, you know, uh, uh, of comparison but you know i remember when bronson arroyo was signed and everyone was heartbroken i specifically remember match almost literally crying on section 336 when this happened and having an aneurysm and still he's only pitching to a 0.6 and 0.4 war um 
and that's very similar to Habaldo Jimenez. In fact, Habaldo Jimenez actually has a lesser FIP compared to Bronson Arroyo. So Baltimore fans, I understand it was a really, really bad game. And Jimenez hasn't had a really defining game at this point. But what I'm saying is it can quickly turn around. I certainly hope so because they're going to keep throwing these cats out there. Um, cats? These guys. Okay. Excuse me. Um, Speaking of like guys are throwing out there, Kevin Gossman, Saturday night. That was a great start. Yeah, I mean, this whole... Against a good club. Right. So they pulled him out of Norfolk on Wednesday night, and everyone's just like, great, they're fucking Gossman again because, you know, it's a situation of they're going to pull him out, and they're disrupting his whole routine. You know, they need to ease him in with their number one prospect. I cannot believe they're yo-yoing him. And what does Kevin Gossman do? He comes up against one of the best teams in All-American League and absolutely shuts them down. And it's just a great performance by Kevin Gossman. A great way to silence people, silence the critics, basically prove that he is a top prospect. And it doesn't matter if he's going to be yo-yoed or what. He needs to be in this rotation. There's no question about it. And he was rewarded with that start of being given a spot in the rotation until Gonzalez Pops comes back and says, okay, you're going to pitch on next Thursday. So, Jake, I know you're going to talk about this. Gossman, does he stay in the rotation? I hope so. I think we all hope so that he stays in the rotation. Um, you know, the, the question has come up of now that Johan Santana is gone with his Achilles tear, you know, if Miguel Gonzalez comes back, do the Orioles go with a six-man rotation? You know, if they were willing to do that with Johan Santana, I can't imagine why they wouldn't be willing to do that with Kevin Cosman. I know that, that Johan Santana has, well, let's say, more of a track record than Gosman, but at the same time, the ceiling is way higher for Gosman, especially in the fact that you're not getting enough out of your top two guys who you're not going to get rid of. You're not going to send Tillman or Baldo Jimenez to the bullpen in 2014. It's just not going to happen. You can't send either one of them to the minors. So if you're going to keep up with the Blue Jays who are streaking, why not keep effective starters in the rotation? And I say, I hope that they keep Kevin Gosman in the rotation. Speaking of which, Jake, uh, keeping certain people uh, available and uh, part of the rotation, um, there's definitely someone that um, was raking the ball this week. Maybe not your guy, but some other guy. So, um, Jake, let's uh, let's take a stroll through fantasy land. When it comes to twisting, I just got to keep insisting. Oh, baby. You're making me hate Elvis. Should do swing. Or love Aunt Margaret. When it comes to twisting, I just got to keep insisting on daddy. Oh! You are the king. Baby, you've got me beat up and down, inside out and across. Scott, you've got me beat oh, yeah. upside down, inside out and across. But in the middle of the night when the moon is shining bright, you're the boss. No, unfortunately, you, you are the boss. Jake, yes, I am the boss once again. Seven to three. Um... It's like the 2010 series season all over again for you. I hate you, I hate numbers, and I hate the Elvis version of this song. But let me let me tell you, I looked for Beatles songs with the word boss in it, and I came up empty this week. So, well, listeners, if you're there and smarter than me, if you can think of a Beatles song with the word boss in it, good on you. But, Scotty, I'm going to have to bow to you on this one. You beat me this week. <sighs> Adam Jones, four extra base hits. My pick, Manny Machado, two extra base hits. You win, 7-3 lead. You're starting to, to take Pull the lead away. on me. 
what do you have for us this week? Sure. So uh, let's go over the stats. Jones had four X base hits. To Manny Machado's two X base hits. I am up seven to three. Jake, the stat that I'm going to go with this week. You know what, Jake? I'm going to change things up. I'm tired of winning so much. Jake, you get to pick a stat this week. I don't need your pity. I don't need your pity. First of all, I don't need your pity. Second of all, I'm not prepared. Do you have a stat ready? I do have a stat ready. Then I will yield to your pity. All right. I'm going to go with XFIP. I take it back. We're going to go with something simple. Um, Scott Magnus. Uh-huh. No, go ahead. XFIP. Go. Okay. We're going to go with XFIP this week. And um, for those that don't know what XFIP is, XFIP is basically... That would be me. Go ahead. Okay. You, you, but you know what FIP is, right? Okay. So FIP basically, XFIP is basically just putting it into correlation with park factors as well. Oh, park factors and FIP, my favorite. Yes. So Jake, who are you going with XFIP? And let's pick starters this week. How's that, how's that sound? So which of the guys will be the least awful? Yeah. And I'm going to exclude Bud Norris after we saw his performance tonight. What? You're not allowed to pick him after you saw that performance. Well, if you pick him, I'm only going to include the game after Monday's night's game. And you mean after tonight? Yes. That's fine. No, I'm not going okay. to. No, that, no, that's, that, you know, that, funny you mention that. It's a weird thing because I'm not really sure when or if we can include that for Fantasy Boss. Um, it, It's a, generally a gray subject, but since Bud Norris was able to go through Monday night's game in less than two and a half hours against the Boston Red Sox, that deserves like a Nobel, Nobel Peace Prize in my opinion. All right. I'm going to go with Kevin Cosman. Ooh. Okay. Wow. I'm going to go with Wee and Chen. All right, not a bad pick because he's not one of the awful pitchers we've got. Generally, Wee and Chen actually is one of the better fit pitchers in our rotation. But Kevin Gossman is a very interesting pick. So, Jake, I think you're going to turn things around this week. We've got to because I can't take any more of that music. And speaking of the music, Scott, start the drums. It's time for, if I'm not mistaken, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yes, Jake, it's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. Jake, I'm going to actually go start this week. Um, my good for the week is going to be Adam Jones, who is my fantasy boss winner. 440 average, 462 on base percentage, 840 slugging, and a 559 Woba. Wow, what a week. Woba! That's a, that's a pretty impressive week. Kudos to you, Adam Jones. Great week. Keep it up. Keep breaking the ball. All right, my good for this week, and this feels so wrong. It feels so weird. My good for this week has got to be David Lowe. David Lowe has really come on this week, and though we have beat him up every opportunity that we can, David Lowe has turned himself into a ball player. I'm not really sure when it happened, but it did happen. And he batted 286 over this past week. In 14 at-bats, he got four hits, including a home run, two RBIs. He walked three times. David Lowe has turned himself into a useful piece of this club, which he has failed to be for the first third of the season. So my good this week goes to David Lowe. Can I also point out that he's 15th in all-star voting? (laughs) That's so ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) Just want to point out that he was 15th in all-star voting. Um, Okay. Uh, My, the bad for the week is going to go to J J Hardy. Terrible week in the field. Three errors on Thursday night, one on Friday, one on Sunday. 
you know, just a really poor performance in the field, not just with transferring the ball, um, booting balls off his glove, but also the one thing that really bothers me is his arm strength at first base. We've seen several balls bounce in front of Chris Davis. It really concerns me because I've never seen J.J. Uh, Hardy underthrow balls like that coming from shortstop. I really raised the question of, is he hurt? What's going on here? It doesn't look like it's an issue with, you know, his approach. It just doesn't look like he's got the power on the ball. I'm wondering if that back is raising an issue once again. Well, I'll tell you what it is. It certainly isn't good in a contract year. Right. All right. My bad for this week goes to Nick Hundley. Nick Hundley is the guy we acquired to replace Matt Wieters, a, a, a tall order, to say the least. But he's kind of become the not starter. I, I won't call Caleb Joseph the starter by any stretch of the imagination. But Nick Hundley in this past week only got seven at-bats. And in that time, he didn't do a darn thing other than strike out once. So Nick uh, Nick Hundley, for this week, you are bad. Just you need to show me something. All right, um, we're going to go to ugly next, Jake. My ugly for this week is actually going to go to Brian Mattis. Brian Mattis um, had a ten point one three ERA and eight point three three FIP. But most importantly, I think is that is completely different what Brian Mattis has been at lately is his left on base. His left on base, where he's done a great job of straining runners, was negative 38.5% this week. Sure, I mean, that that sucks, but eventually it no, had... No, 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 negative 38.5%. Did you, did you miss the part where I said it sucks? Okay. But eventually, something had to give. He had been near... He had been damn near perfect. Okay, that's fine. Negative 38.5% in, in terms of left on base percentage. I mean, it was just an absolutely horrible week for uh, Brian Mattis, so... Um, it's amazing too because he got the win out of that one game because the arrows were able to come back, but he really didn't deserve the win based off of how he came in in that inning. So, Brian Mattis, congratulations for proving once again that wins don't really matter for pitchers. I hear that. All right, my ugly for this week, and Scott, thank you for letting me take the mic for the final of uh, of the the good, bad, and the ugly this week. My ugly for this week is Orioles fans who, while present at the ballpark this weekend, booed. J.J. Hardy, or J.J. Hardy, at booed Jim Johnson, the reliever for the Oakland Athletics. Apparently, Oriole fans at the ballpark have forgotten to send in your skeletons that Jim Johnson saved not one but two 50-save seasons for the Baltimore Orioles. He was an instrumental part of the 2012 playoff uh, game uh, season. He was the guy that threw the pitch that struck out a rod in the first playoff win in Oriole Park in a zillion years. What happened in game one? What happened in game three? Jim Johnson was a good player for the Orioles over his career. Right, he was a good Oriole. He was a good guy in the clubhouse. He was a good guy in the community, and Oriole fans booed him. Yeah. And his return to Camden Yards, classless and unnecessary. I say to you, shame, Orioles fans. Shame for booing the pretender. That's fair. I mean, I can't argue with that. And for that, they are my ugly. They, those fans that booed Jay, uh, Jim Johnson, are on notice. Okay. I think that's a good call, Jake. Um, I'm, since I let you end with it, do you mind if I go ahead and try to blow the save? I would appreciate every blow of the save that you can provide. Okay. So, Jake, I'm going to end the blowing the save with Friday night's game. And the way I'm going to end this is the extra inning loss and the decision-making. And there was a lot of uh, bitterness and disgust 
namely from yourself as well, of saying this team is about to go on a massive losing streak. Um, but um, in regards to this, you know, I really thought that that game was a great way to end the game. Um, Nick Marquez being sent by Bobber Dickerson, I think, was the exact perfect uh, play by them. But I think it was a situation of there had to be a perfect throw, and in this case, there was a perfect throw. I'm reminded back to the 2012 season where the Orioles were playing the Blue Jays, and Machado was also thrown at at home by Dickerson, also making you know a situation of you've got to make a perfect throw, and Vernon Wells made a perfect throw. You're right, no problem with that. I've call. got no problem with that call. Similarly, I have no problem with sending him uh, having. Uh, Cruz trying to steal home plate. And this is the reason why I'll explain it. In 9 out of 10 of those situations, the pitcher bulks in those situations so that he would have got home plate as it is. Um, and, and, and also situation two, Davis should not have been stepping out of the box. He should have been free swinging and having catcher's interference. Cruz did a heads-up baseball play there, and that's the kind of exciting baseball that I want to see on a day-in and day-out basis. Look, Nelson Cruz has no business trying to steal a base. And Nelson Cruz especially has no business trying to steal home plate. I say to you, bad baseball play to ruin what could have been a good game. Sexy, erotic, exciting play. I'm all for it. And with that, Jake, I think it's time that we bid our fond farewells. Well, in that case, I will bid you all, Baltimore and beyond, a fond adieu-adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Have fun stealing home. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go. Oh, yeah. There you go.